Well, good afternoon, everybody. This uh, session is entitled, uh, Can These Bones Live? It's uh, alluding to a scripture from Ezekiel. And I'll say, first of all, that uh, as we look at any given class we're going to teach, regardless of what the subject is, if it's uh, how to teach children to find the least common denominator, or if it's to study something like the uh, effects of gravity or to study uh, the bones of birds. Why, the question is, what, what life is there in this? What, what's this really about? And in Ezekiel, we read Ezekiel 37, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, it was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know. And that's often been the case, I believe, of teachers and also students. As we look at, uh, at the subject, sometimes we think of, of subject being dry. And the illusion, the, uh, the, uh, the understanding being that if this is dry, it's uh, not interesting, maybe not worthwhile. And if it's dry to the teacher, it's going to be dry to the students. And so that question is before us, can these bones live? Can this thing reveal itself? What's the significance of this subject, of this topic? And as we look at, at uh, school subjects, I like to think of them as subjects rather than content. Sometimes we talk about do we teach content or do we teach skill? And I might add that those two themselves don't, neither one really quite cuts it. If we only teach skills, our education is merely instrumental. That is, we merely develop tools and that really leaves the question open of, but what are we trying to accomplish? What are these tools about? And when we think of content, we often think of a mass of information. And information itself is of a certain value, but it's not really, it doesn't really live in itself. And so as we think of a subject, it's a better term, a subject suggests that there's some life here, there's something living. A subject can be revealed. A subject can, in a sense, reveal itself to us as we study it. Our school subjects typically include things like arithmetic, science, language, story of all kinds, history, geography, a study of the world and the people in the world, nature study, science study, music, art and others. And so that which we study, as we study it, sometimes it grips us 
There's a scripture in which Paul the Apostle says something like this, that which I apprehend apprehends me. And so as we think of a school subject, we can actually think of, I'll just use an illustration here, of, uh, of bones. And so let's look at, let's look at, uh, at some bones. Are we seeing it there? Am I up here? Okay. So as we look at the, at the bones here, the, yes, can these bones live? So let's just imagine uh, for the moment that our lesson is actually on bones. Well, as we look at bones here, there are a number of things to consider. Uh, we have things like bones are actually uh, part of yourself. So as you study bones, you're studying something about yourself. And there's something inherently interesting about learning more about one's self. These bones in your arms and in, in your fingers. And as a teacher, when you look at a lesson, let's, if we actually were going to be studying bones, why there are various ways we could approach this. We could consider how these bones provide structural support for us. We could look at life inside the bones. There's marrow in there. There's actually living life in the bones. There's red blood cell manufacture. I recall telling my students uh, some years ago that if uh, if somebody asks you what you're doing sometime, doesn't seem like you're getting much accomplished, you can always say, well, I'm making red blood cells because they tell us that in any given second, our bones are producing about 2 million red blood cells. And so there's a lot of activity inside our bones. There are layers of bones, there are nerves. And then there's also the, the uh, way the bones work together in the foot, the, uh, the arches the, uh, that allow you to walk without crashing down on your, on your feet. And then there's also the aspect of looking at bones of birds in comparison to bones of people as to how their bones are, are hollow and make them much lighter. And so this is one illustration of how if you're looking at a particular lesson in a given day, the question to ask is, what is it about this lesson? What is it about this lesson that's significant? What do we want to consider about this? There's something about bones to be seen, something to, uh, to learn, something to be uh, revealed. Another, uh, another thing I like to consider is the, let me see if I get another slide here. Is uh, handiwork. I've also thought of the illustration, if you see a carved duck, and I remember an experience in which I actually saw this. There was a skilled wood carver, Grantsville, Maryland, 
and he had a number of ducks there that he had, he had carved. He he spent almost a year making one of these. And when you look at the intricacy at the handiwork of something, you examine the fine lines and the feathers and the color, the design, the, uh, the reality or the real, realism of this, you really are learning something about the person who made that object. And if you were to, every, every carved duck was carved by somebody. And you really can't learn much about the carving by looking at the person. If you simply looked at the carver as a man, here's another man. And you really can't learn that much about this man by just looking at him. In fact, looking at the man as a man as another man might actually be a distraction from learning about his skill. But if you look at what the person has made, that reveals something about the person. And so as we consider the, the, uh, the handiwork, what does the handiwork reveal? Well, if you were going to have someone build a house for you, if you were going to hire a contractor, and you consider three different contractors, it wouldn't do much good to get three photographs of the three men and look at the three faces to decide which one you want to build your house. It would make much more sense to visit three different houses that these people have made, and to look at the houses these people have made and decide whether you want the quality of work that this person makes. And so our illustration here is that we can learn about a person by his handiwork. And so the teacher is actually someone who occupies himself with God's work. And we learn, we are learning something about God through everything that we study, through everything that he has made. There's a way in which we actually resonate with the mind of God. The scriptures say that the works of the Lord are great, studied by all who delight in them. And as we, as we study the works of God, we are, we are, uh, as we study the works of God, we are actually studying about God. We resonate with his mind. As we look at uh, the study, the things of God's world, we, we learn things about his power. We learn things about his provision, about his sense of beauty. We develop a sense of wonder. Uh, we develop uh, understanding of the intricacies of creation, of the interdependence of the things he had made. And I'm reminded of the scripture in Kings where it says that God gave 
Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the East Country and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezraite, and Heban, and Chalcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all nations round about. And he spake 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were a 1,005. And he spake of trees, from the cedar tree that's in Lebanon, even unto the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. He spake also of beasts, and of fowl, and of creeping things, and of fishes. And there came of all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth, which had heard of his wisdom. And so the teacher is one who occupies himself in, with the works of God. And as the common hymn says, there's not a plant or flower below, but makes thy glories known. Now, I also like to think of, um, of how the, the teacher needs to The teacher is one who, ex, who uh, knows many things. And there are two kinds of, of knowing. It's, it's uh, understood. In English, we have one word for knowing. But in both Spanish and in French and in German, there are two words for knowing. One kind of knowing is that which we know about. We know facts. Uh, it's often uh, referred to as, uh, in German, as Wissen, or the old English word wist. Uh, actually, I think the King James uses that a time or two. He wist not. He did not know. That's a fact. But then there's another kind of knowing, uh, which is in German, the kennen, which is more experiential knowing. I know this by experience. I'm familiar with it. And so if we know a person because he's our friend, uh, he's, he's, uh, we know him experientially, that's kennen. If we learn about something, we, uh, we, we wist it. The teacher actually wants to do both. And as the teacher is familiar with his subject, why he, he does more than just know about grammar, more than know about gravity. He actually, uh, he actually knows it in a sense it becomes part of him. And there's a sense in which his face glows. I like to think in lesson preparation, I like to think of the, of the story of Moses being on the mountain with God and receiving the Ten Commandments. As he received these, why he was up there for quite a while with, with God. And we, when he came down off the mountain, we read that the skin of his face shone and the people were afraid to come near him. And 
I like to use the analogy that when the teacher is immersed in his subject and studies his subject and is prepared to enter the classroom and uh, study that subject with his students, his, there should be a glow on the face, a twinkle in the eye. As you've come out, as you've come uh, from the presence of the Lord, as you've engaged God through his world, through the subject, there is a glowing. And there's other analogy that we can make that I think applies here in Acts when Peter and John spoke, why it says that they, people were amazed at how these men spoke but then they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And I would suggest that as teachers, as we walk and talk with God, it does affect our countenance. As we walk and talk with him in the context of the world that he has made, the world of creation. Now, this is not a substitute for, we can't just spend quiet time with God and then be prepared to teach. We actually do have to do the hard work of preparing and studying. But it's the glow that makes the difference. It's the recognition that this subject lives. These bones live. These lessons live. These are significant. And so we rejoice in a sense. We rejoice in the truth. I'd like to uh, use an illustration um, I found this uh, some years ago, a little picture that I think illustrates well the relationship between the teacher and the subject and the, and the students. There is a focus on the subject, and we're doing this together. This triangle represents the three things interacting with each other. These, these people, in a sense, are lost in the subject. They are looking at something on this globe. They are talking. There's something they're talking about here. It could be uh, latitude. It could be where we're located in the world. But we are connected with each other. We're connected with the fellow students and with the teacher and with the subject. The goal of the teacher is to roll together the students with the subject and the teacher. And when you do that, while you're having an experience together with God's world, and there's a, there's a very uh, real sense in which the uh, we learn that Jesus, when he walked with the two men on the road to Emmaus, he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. He talked along the way, but it's when he broke bread together with them that somehow he was, he was known to them. And so there's a sense in which I would say that the... the uh, Communion with, there's a sense in which Christian education is a communion with God through his world, through his creation. And as the students have that experience of learning together with each other and with the teacher, the illustration here shows that the student 
the triangle reflects a student relating to the teacher and the subject. And there's this delightful little poem that says, I love you, not only for what you are, but for what I am when I am with you. This is what our students should be able to say. I love you for what I am when I am with you. I love you not only for what you have made of yourself, but for what you are making of me. I love you for the part of me that you bring out. There's uh, a student should have the experience of being in a sense drawn out and having his interests awakened and his skills developed, his character developed as he interacts with other students and with the teacher and with the subject. This isn't uh, a counseling session in the classroom. It isn't just dry facts. It actually is a way of engaging God's world together. I would say that teachers are artists and every teacher is a little bit different. And a question each of us faces is how can we, in a sense, break bread together with our students? Each one's a bit different, but we're all engaged in the same work. There's a sense in which we are helping our children come into their heritage. Every children ha should, be, should inherit that which belongs to him, the understandings, the skills, the knowledge that belongs to him, it involves hard work, and he needs someone to help him do that. I'd like now to just uh, consider a few more things about here's the teacher as artist. The teacher works with the student and with the subject. The world, uh, the subject is the world in which the student lives. And the teacher molds and informs the minds and the hearts of students as they engage the subject together through enjoyment and hard work. And I would say that togetherness is the essence of teaching. Sometimes we say this person seems to have it together. If you have it together, why you have this deep sense, maybe not articulated, but this deep sense that the world in which we live and move and have our being. It's a world in which we fit. It's a world in which we care about. And every subject that we look at is part of that world. Now, uh, just to wrap this up, I have a few pictures here. And if, if we're a teacher and we just look at these illustrations, uh, these represent several different subjects. And so, I already talked about a science subject, but uh, let's look at, just look at some of these. Let's pretend that one of these would be our subject for the day and our question that's before us is, can these bones live? What is significant about this? And so, for example, on the bottom right corner are some, are some uh, geometrical uh, designs and, and formulas. And as we look at this whole, the whole realm of mathematics, there's a language here that uh, the world depends on in order to build buildings, in order to uh, make things. We depend on 
mathematics. And as we look at the various formula involved here, these things, there's a certainty, there's a predictability, these things are embedded in the things that we make and the things that we build. And there are, uh, they're all made by God. God has designed these. As we think of historical ruins, there are stories there. Once upon a time, the Incas uh, walked around here in Machu Picchu, uh, Peru. And it's uh, amazing to see these artifacts. And as a teacher, you can ponder the, uh, the brevity of time and things that we think are permanent or not permanent. We think of other times, other people, other places. We think of the times in which we live and we think of our future. And then we think of Proverbs, riches, bring cares. Here is an example of something to discuss with our students. Riches are wonderful things, aren't they? But as we have houses and automobiles and lands, all these things require responsibilities and they bring cares. And then we see the faces of people. And each of these people represents something, whether it's a Thomas Alva Edison, an inventor, uh, whether it's a ruthless dictator like uh, like Stalin, whether it's um, someone like Gandhi, there's a story with each person. And the stories of men are and deeds are inherently interesting and give us insight into the world. Um, and then we see lessons like science, something as simple as levers, first, second, third class lever. Well, can these bones live? How do we study this kind of thing? Well, there are several different kinds of illustrations we can give in everyday life. And then we can think of particular tools and you can even bring it personal to think of where you might find each one of these in the human body. And so as we go around the the world of the curriculum, whether it's a little poem with younger children, these intriguing little poems that if we memorize them, they'll stay with us for life. How do little carrot seeds in packages, you know, remember how their parents looked and know the way to grow instead of making cabbages or onions in a row. These little poems that we memorize stay with us for life and have a little bit of wisdom embedded in them. And then we have historical illustrations of things like uh, child labor and the, all the changes through, uh, through life. And so we come back to our initial question, can these bones live? A question to ask as we, as we, um, prepare lessons, as we prepare class discussions, what, uh, what's the life in here? I like to think of the little, um, the book, Where's Waldo? The children's book, you turn the page and you look for Waldo. And in any given lesson, we look at that lesson and say, where is the finger of God here? What does this reveal about God's uh, character, about God's power, 
about his provision, about his world. And we don't ask that question every day. And if you ask that question every day to the students, it would get, uh, it would get old. It's more an awareness. It's more a stance that we take. And as we enter the classroom and engage these subjects with our students, the question that's before us is how can we have togetherness? How can we, we and our students and the subject come together and how can we find life in that subject? Because it really is part of God's world and it's a way in which he reveals himself. These bones can live and as teachers, it's our privilege to, to uh, live in the life of God, to enter the classroom with a glow on the face and to engage our students with the subject together. For more free resources that support teaching and learning, visit the docforlearning.org.